Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody, welcome back. This is Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Once again, hope you're staying healthy. Hope you're staying safe. Keeping your mind busy. Another episode, another day. Hopefully, uh, this is a bit of an escape for people who need uh, need something to keep them their mind busy. Been getting some good feedback on the episodes we've done. This is a really fun topic that I think everyone's going to have fun with like to welcome back for the second time, Mr. Mojo Mumi. You can catch him on KSOIFM.com and MojoRocks.LipSwitch.com as well. How are you doing today, Mojo? I'm doing awesome. How are you, buddy? I'm good, man. You're out there in Iowa. I'm out here in Chicago, two different areas, but still feeling the same effect. I don't think your state's on a stay-at-home order. We are. Not yet, anyway. Not yet. So hopefully it stays that way for you guys. I know, you know, there's been questions about certain states being open and others being closed, and who knows what the right answer is at this point. But hopefully hopefully this is all past us as soon as possible, sooner rather than later. Um, I I hope we're turning a corner. It feels like we're turning a corner. But when we reopen things up, no one really knows what that's going to be like and what that's going to look like. So still a lot of questions out there. Yeah. Well, let's get into it. we got a fun topic for all you listeners out there. Feel free to comment once this link is posted, whether it's on Twitter or Facebook. The topic is the top 10 bands of the 80s. Now, this doesn't have to be a glam band or as some people refer it as hair bands. This is just mm-hmm. the top 10 music music acts, the top 10 bands in rock, hard rock, and heavy metal during the 80s. And I was, I was trying to do my homework, too. And, um, man, this is tough. This is tougher for me because usually if I do this, like I do this on Facebook and Twitter, um, so I do a thing called The List. And with my... Uh, best friend famous paul and you know normally if i were to do this i would say top 10 80s uh glam band or uh, hair band whatever but when uh, i was thinking top 10 bands of the 80s and it kind of spans spans uh hair band glam heavy metal or you know pop 
me to put together. And uh, it's going to be interesting because I, I have the feeling you have a slightly different list than I do. We'll see. We'll see. Because I stayed away from the pop X. I was, you know, I was thinking about like, you know, Tom Petty and Duran Duran and bands yeah. like that. And I, I, I've seen Duran Duran in concert. I think they're a great live band. Um, I had tickets for Tom Petty at Wrigley Field on his last tour, and I gave him up at the last moment because I had something else going on, something that, that I regret. I never was able to see Tom Petty live. Um, oh, man. Yeah, that's kind of one of my life's regrets. But I just stuck to what I was listening to in the 80s, and that was hard rock, that was heavy metal. And I just remember back in the day of what these bands meant to that era and what they meant to the genre, and that's kind of how I listed them. And that's the avenue I took as well. And um, some more meaningful just to me, and I tried to also look at it like um, growing up in that that era like we did, who stuck out the most to me. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're any better than other bands, but uh, I try to. I I guess I kind of made it a little bit more personal. So that's the, that's the avenue I took. Okay, the approach I went with. All right, no approach is wrong. But like I said, you know, if you, if you guys want to contribute out there and comment on your own, please do. Uh, this will be a lot. This is going to be a lot of fun because I there there were a few bands that I felt should be there. And then there was like, oh, what about this band? And what about that band? And just the impact they had. So it was difficult because, you know, you're talking about 10 years. A lot of people remember the latter part of the 80s. They they don't really consider 80 through 85. They kind of just kind of forget about that a lot. And they figure, you know, they, they talk more about the later part which was all over MTV and all over the radio and that's when all the girls got involved and became fans you know but there mm-hmm. was there was a rawness to the early part of the 80s that yes there was is forgotten by a lot of fans and they 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 yeah. don't correlate the early part of the 80s to the latter part and that i think probably 50% of my top 10 is from the early 80s in that five-year span. All right. Well, let's get into it. Let's let's start out with number ten. Who's on your? Who's right. number ten for you, Mojo? Number ten. I had to start where it all started for me with uh, Quiet Riot, uh, first metal band to go number one. Um, I mean, Metal Health, say no more. Basically, that's. People forget, That's it right there. People forget before Motley Crue, before Rat, before Def Leppard, Quiet Riot had a number one album. And yeah. people forget that. People forget that they were one of the acts on the U.S. Festival, which is probably the biggest outside of Live Aid, which was, it was probably mm-hmm. the biggest festival in the 80s. And that was really the time where rock and roll, hard rock took over with uh, the fans and the audience. That's a good, that's a good pick. Metal Health was a great album. Quiet Riot was a great band. It's got some history, too. Although he wasn't in the band when they reached their peak, Randy Rhodes was the original guitar player. And, of course, Randy yep. Rhodes played for Ozzy Osbourne, the first two records. 
died tragically, but there's some legacy there with the band. There, um, and most people, most people forget that the, that Mental Health was not their first album either. No, this at this time, I think that was their their third album, third or fourth album, I think. Yeah, was it? Was the first two? They, I think the first two were on like a European record label, if, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, yeah, I believe so. And it did this one. This was the first without Randy Rhodes, yeah. and it was actually the first one with uh, Frankie Benali, Carlos Cavazzo, and uh, Rudy Sardo. Yes. Yeah, great album. Of course, Come On, Feel the Noise was the first hit off that. I remember seeing the video for it and the impression it made on me with the kid in his you know, room and you know, Quiet Riot coming out of the stereo and then Metal Health with the mask and the straight jacket. Totally cool yeah. band, great band in the 80s. It did not make my top 10, but it was close. It was, it was one of the bands, there was a handful of bands that were just on the edge and they didn't make my list. But my number 10, I hemmed and hawed on this for, gosh, for like half a day because this band has the probably the biggest rock album of all time. And it was released in 1980. Mm. They had a few other strong albums in the 80s, namely... For those about to rock and flick mm-hmm. of the switch, I'm not a big. I had a feeling you were going there. Yeah, I, I, I'm not a big fan of Fly on the Wall, although it had some good hits. Wasn't really that crazy about Who Made Who. The band itself, I don't want to say was irrelevant in the '80s, but because they were a jeans and a t-shirt band, you know, outside of Angus yeah. and what he did, they really weren't as prominent as maybe they should have been. Back in no, the 80s. they. I think they come across as your uh, blue collar, kind of like, um, not uh, kind of like your jackal, like um, bands like a working man hard rock band. Yeah, and I think they and jackal was more redneck, the southern, but they're both kind of the same in that aspect. You're you're working man's hard rock with big riffs and. Um, awesome solos, but yeah, they were I, back in black, and they were they made my top ten as well. But uh, yeah, you know, I I mean, I, I solely put them on the top ten because of Back in Black, because you can't deny the impact and the influence that that record have. At the same time, I was not a big ACDC fan when I was in high school and in my late teens. It wasn't till my early 20s, mid-20s, that I really connected with ACDC, and I really got into their catalog. To me, I don't know if I, it was just never really appreciated them, or there was so much going on with other bands, with Image, and album covers, and all that. I just, it, it never really... I mean, I, I I shouldn't say that I didn't like them because I I mean I liked them, but I really wasn't a fan in terms of I had to have their new album, you know, I had to go yeah. see them on tour. It just it just I was it, yeah, it wasn't it did they didn't really connect with me till later on. So that's my number ten. Totally. And my number nine, and I'm going back to eighty five uh, or eighty six. I think it was eighty five, eighty eighty six, something like that. 
Um, this band, I say to me, it, they epitomize the eighties, um, sex, drugs, rock and roll party mayhem. They were the glam slam Kings of noise. And they they did not make my list because of the songwriting. And my number nine is poison. Yeah. Interesting. You know, that's a band that really is a love them or hate them type of band. You know, I, yeah. I did buy look what the cat dragged in just because I, I personally think that's their best album outside of the Richie Conson record, native tongue. But mm-hmm. I really like that sound they had on that first record and then open up and say, ah, and the stuff that came after that wasn't really too crazy about it. Um, they seemed kind of, really to go after the cheese part, especially with like with unskinny bop and everything. But yeah, that's a band I yeah. saw. You know, it's, yeah. It's a band I saw live and I, and I enjoyed them. But after that first record, my interest kind of waned on them. I don't know. I, I kind of fell into that. I loved them for a long time. And just, um, <clears throat> especially when, when native tongue came out and I'm one of those guys that, like when when Motley Crue changed singers and heard heard it for the first time, instantly loved it because it was different. And I was the same thing. I was the same way with Native Tongue. When I heard it, I loved it. And Richie Cotton is, is so much of a, a better. He was a different guitar player. Let's just say that. Um, I do think he was a better guitar player. And Native Tongue, is, I think, was probably the best album in their catalog but look what the cat dragged in I thought it was so glam street it was it, it almost has punk element to it as well but they, I definitely think that band and their image and everything about them epitomized the 80s as a whole yeah you know when I think of that opening track on Look What the Cat Dragged In, Cry Tough, which is one of my favorite songs mm-hmm. by Poison. I thought, I think that song is great. I think I think that song should have been bigger than Talk Dirty to Me. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, it's got a big hook. It's got a sweet melody. And then there were songs like Number One Bad Boy on there and the title track was a great song as well. I thought the album, I mean, the only thing that I have a problem with the album is maybe sonically it didn't sound as good as the stuff that came after that. You know, getting to Native Tongue with Richie, there was more of a serious element. I think they were trying to grow with their audience. And I just think that if the album was maybe released a year earlier, I think it would have been a lot bigger because I think there was a, you know, of course, we all know the transition between 80s rock and, yeah. and grunge was kind of happening at that moment. So I think it, like I said, if it would have came out a year earlier, I think it would have been a lot bigger. I think you're probably right. And I, I would agree. Definitely. Richie still does a couple of those tracks too off that album. Sometimes, uh, you know, when he plays, I know he does stand a lot and I know he does, um, until you suffer some fire knife. Yes. Yeah. I, you know, he does. Those... That's a great, that's a... Oh, it's awesome. That song is great. Yeah. My number nine is a band that people forget how big they were in the early to mid eighties. Um, just great hooks, great songs, great live. They've been regarded as one of the best live bands of all time. My number nine is Scorpions. Uh, awesome. They made my list as well. Yeah. Scorpions, 
you know, obviously there was no one like you off the Blackout album. Blackout album is, is a great record. I love it for Sting. People forget how big that album was when that came out with the big, you know, Rocky Like a Hurricane, Big City Nights, and Still Loving You. Uh, yes. I mean, I remember when that album came out, they were everywhere. I mean, on the radio, everywhere. I mean, you, you couldn't get away from the Scorpions. Getting, you know, no. yeah, and getting back before no, our Blackout, you know, was Animal Magnetism and Love Drive and, the, and those albums. But I think the reason why they're not regarded as one of the bigger bands from that era, or people forget about how big they were, is the time off between Love at First Sting and Savage Amusement. Because there was like a four-year period where yeah. they didn't put out an album. Savage Amusement was uh, 88? 87 or 88, something like that. But it was like three, four years they were they didn't release anything, except that live album. That's Yeah, I forgot about the live album. And that album itself, Savage Amusement, it, did, well, it wasn't as big as Love at First Sting either. And I think at that time, by that time, I think they were starting to lose their. I don't. I, I don't know. I. I feel like they were starting to lose momentum as far as their status. I don't know. I could be wrong, but that's the way I always uh, kind of looked at it that way. Well, when you think about Blackout and you think about Love at First Sting when the when they were released, when we first started talking about the topic, how different early '80s was the late 80s and if there's a band that really kind of shows how it was how they were impacted was the scorpions you look at blackout love it for sting two big albums a lot more of a raw sound sound not really glammed up you know they were they were what it was at that time now you go three years out three four years out into savage amusement things changed you know, I mean, you had the rise yeah. of the power ballad. You had the rise of you know bands like you just said, Poison. You have Motley Crue. I mm-hmm. think, in my opinion, single-handedly changed the game with the Home Sweet Home and the back of the theater of pain record to more of a glam look. And Scorpions came yeah. out with Savage Amusement. And I think you're right. I think musically, it never really elevated like Love at First Sting or Blackout. There's good songs on Savage Amusement. It just it doesn't it doesn't grab me like those two other records do. Yeah, and it was a great album. I mean, it, it definitely is. And one of my favorite songs on that album is uh, "Passion Rules the Game." Yeah. And I've played that so, so I've played that so many times on my show because I just I just love that song. But at that time, I think um, you know another band on my list, Bon Jovi. They were they were huge at that time, and that to me, I I think that Savage Amusement album almost sounded like. A bon, like it was fashioned after a Bon Jovi album to me the just the way the album sounded I also think too their first single Rhythm of Love was yeah. the wrong single to open up an album because it's kind of moody a little bit It's it's I mean when you think of Scorpions you think of Big City Nights, you think of Rocky Like a Hurricane, No One Like You, mm-hmm. Blackout. And then Rhythm of Love comes out, and it kind of is like, okay, where's the punch? Where, where, where is it? When's it going to hit me? And it's a great song, but it just, again, it just, I, I think that would have been a great number two or number three single. 
I mean, obviously they had the big hit with with Wind of uh, Change, but I think Don't Stop at the Top should have been the first single off of that album. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about this song. Um, definitely. Those those are the first couple tracks on that album I think should have been um, released as singles before Rhythm of Love. And I think I agree with you. Rhythm of Love should not have been released as a single first. Yeah, I think they got some bad advice from their management company on that. I just, you know, lost opportunity. But I think I would, it, you know, it has, has to do more with them taking such a long break and the music scene just had changed by the time they came back. Yeah, and I, I'm, I had to grab, I had to grab the CD because I was trying to think of the track listing and I was drawing a blank. But I was, I was Rhythm of Love is the second track, but I definitely, yeah, Don't Stop the Top and Passion Rules of the Game. Um. Should have, either one of those two should have been released first before Rhythm of Love. And personally, uh, on a side note, Wind of Change is one of my least favorite songs of all time. I just, I, I, I know a lot of people love it, and obviously there was the political, you know, with the wall coming down um, in Germany and everything, and I get the meaning of it, but it's a song yeah. that when I hear on the radio, I, I got to change the channel. I, I, I just... Ugh, I just can't. I can't get into it. Yeah, that kind of ran its course with me too. I, I don't. I'll listen to it, but uh, it's definitely one of those songs. Like uh, if I'm listening to uh, Def Leppard's Hysteria, I always skip Horse and Sugar on Me because that. I mean, that's it's one of those songs that's just way overplayed, and uh, we've all got songs like that like you said when to change I mean every band if I listen to Kiss I, there's at least one song on an album I'll skip just because I've heard it a million times or tired of hearing it yeah so what's your number eight my number eight uh, they had big hair and big smiles and they made it look like it was a lot of fun to be around and my number eight is Bon Jovi Bon Jovi makes my um, list number t- as well, but yeah, just a huge, huge band in the eighties. Their their videos, especially the singles from Slippery When Wet. I mean, you gave love a bad name, living on a prayer, wanted dead or alive. And back then, music videos they were everything. They're in their fashion, you know, all those bands of the day, dressing the way they dressed. It was. There's another band that I think the eighties. Is, that's one band that definitely comes into my into my mind. You know, I get a lot of grief for my appreciation for Bon Jovi. And I don't know why, because their songs are so well written. I mean, you look at the three songs you just mentioned. You Give Love a Bad Name, Living on a Prayer, Want a Dead or Alive. They follow that up in New Jersey with Bad Medicine. I'll be there for you. Mm-hmm. Lay your hands on me. Born to be my baby. Those are yeah. all great, well-written songs with big hooks and big melodies. And I, you know, because what a lot of women like the band. You know, you, you got to be too cool for school not to like them. Bon Jovi was one of my favorite bands from that period. They're very underrated as musicians, especially Richie Sambora as a guitar player. What, oh yeah, you know, and I just think that what what I liked most about that band is when you take their debut and then you take 7,800 degree Fahrenheit and then into Slippery When Wet, 
That was a band that was building their audience and trying to find the right sound. And the record company yeah. allowed them to do that, which is not happen anymore. That is a, I mean, but if there is a band that is a prime example of a, a record company believing in them and a record company allowing them time to find their groove, it's Bon Jovi. I would, I would agree with that. Definitely. Yeah, Richie Sambora is very underrated guitar player. And, well, the whole band. I mean, Tico, Tico Torres, very good drummer. Oh, I can't their bass player. Alex John Such? Yeah, that whole band was just great musicians. Yeah. Probably was, better so than the guys, guys in Poison. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, you know, David Bryan was on keyboards, but even like Richie, Richie's sound has evolved too. I mean, you take those first few records and then you listen to, listen to them on Keep the Faith and on, you know, These Days and even into Crush. I mean, his guitar playing, it gets better. And his solo yeah. record, Stranger in This Town, is a phenomenal record. I think Eric Clapton plays on yeah. it. I mean, just phenomenal stuff. So, you know, when I hear people, you know, make fun of me about uh, like Bon Jovi, they, you know, I forget what the name, how, what they call Bon Jovi or whatever the name, the nickname. It's just like judge the band for what they are: great musicians, great songs, great performers. If you ever seen Bon Jovi live, they blow away ninety percent of the bands out there. I know there's been talk about them getting booed off a stage. When, you know, it's I don't know if that ever happened. I never heard of that happen happening but they were always well received they're a great live band John Bon Jovi's got a great voice and he's a great front man it's a band yeah. that you're not cool if you like them which I think is bullshit I never understood that mentality of uh, hating a band because they're a hair band I mean if they wrote a band can write a good song and just because the girls gravitate to them I mean if you're listening to that band, girls are gravitating toward that band. I would think if you're a guy looking for a girl, you would gravitate to the same band. You'd so, think, you'd think, right? <laughs> I, yeah, I did. That whole, just because you're a Metallica fan does not mean that you can't like Bon Jovi or Poison. Or, I never understood that mentality of that. You liked what you liked. My number eight is one of the most recognizable voices in rock and roll. He had a huge band in the seventies that was influential to heavy metal, but his solo work is just as good. We mentioned Randy Rhodes playing for this artist prior when Mojo talked about quiet riot. My number eight is Ozzy Osbourne. Think, Very nice. Yeah. When you think about the albums and the catalog that he released in the eighties, starting with blizzard of Oz into diary of a diary of a madman, bark at the moon, ultimate sin, no rest for the wicked. I think no more tears was a nineties album, but I know no rest for the wicked yeah. was in the eighties, but you think about those albums and three different guitar players on those records. Plus you've got speak of the devil, which is with Brad Gillis who replaced that's a live record that replaced, uh, Randy Rhodes, if he would have, I think if he would have maintained with Randy Rhodes, Randy Rhodes wouldn't have tragically died. I think his, I think his impact would have been a lot bigger. And not to say that it's not big, it is huge. But I think having the three different guitar players it makes people appreciate him less. But when you think of the catalog 
of of all those of those five albums released in the eighties. I think there's there's really very few artists during that period that can that can say that they did that much with with that much material. Yeah, and definitely his first couple solo albums with Randy Rhodes was more raw sounding, as you touched on before. And then it got a little, you know, like uh, Jakey Lee, his style of playing was almost that of like Eddie Van Halen and uh, popular guitar players of the time, like Warren D. Martini of Rat and George Lynch and Doc. And, and I think it changed, it definitely changed the sound of his records after. And while Zach Wilde kind of still played like Randy Rhodes, but I don't know if that came later or I don't know if that really, his style really wasn't like Randy's on No Rest for the Wicked, but that's my take. I, that's my opinion on that, but I, I don't know, but I agree that Ozzy's, Ozzy's solo work was definitely a big part of the 80s. Yeah, it was. I mean, you think about the impact you know he had on just the movement just the scene i mean you th- you hear them him biting the head off a bat you hear him um biting the head off of a dove in a meeting uh you yeah. know <laughs> you, i mean just crazy stuff and that's one of the remarkable things about ozzy that i still have not been able to understand when i was growing up ozzy was like the second coming of satan it was evil music. It was work of the devil. I mean, people were burning his records. And then 20 years later, he's invited to the White House, and he's this pop culture icon now, which everybody, you know, relates to, and everybody knows who Ozzy is. And it's just, like, I can't understand how and when that change happened from he's the devil to, oh, he's this lovable character, and he's harmless, and... I, I just I, I the, the transformation for, for me has just been crazy. I think that all happened with uh, his TV show. Yeah, but to even get the, the TV part. show though, right? To get the to be able to have the opportunity to have that, where did that come from? From the I mean, he was like the devil, and all of a sudden now he's got this reality yeah. show. What the hell? What the fuck happened? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean. Uh, Everyone can have reality shows anymore. <laughs> and I mean, they're everywhere. I remember... Tommy Lee's going to college. Yeah, t- oh, Jesus, that was a train wreck. But um, <laughs> but I but I remember watching, being at a, a Cub game at Wrigley Field, and he's singing the seventh yeah. inning stretch, and I'm like, you've got to be oh. shitting me. Like, how does this happen? That was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> But it was expected. Maybe it may have been horrible, but we were you surprised? Well, we knew it was going to happen. It was a train wreck, and we had to watch. But yeah, oh my god, did not have high expectations for that either. No, no, but yeah, Ozzy's my number seven. No, and number eight. Number seven. He's my number eight. So All right, my number seven. My number seven. Uh, we touched on uh, with your pick. Uh, I had the Scorpion. Um, yeah, like we like we said, Rocky, like a hurricane, big city nights, animal magnetism, and eighty, and I think blackout and love at first sting. I think those two are culturally significant albums, and they, sh- you know, those two albums alone should be like put in the Library of Congress. 
Absolutely. They had a huge impact in my youth. I mean, when you look at the U.S. Festival in 83, Vince Neil has regarded this day, you know, the day that, you know, the, the era of 80s rock was born. Obviously, there was music before that, but in terms of relevancy, in terms of being accepted by the mainstream, it all started at that festival. And you think of the bands that were on that bill. The opener was Motley Crue. They had a huge album after that with Shout the Devil. You think about Quiet Riot, that uh, that festival helped propel them to number one. You think about Mm -hmm. Ozzy Osbourne, okay? I mean, you think about the reemergence with Bark at the Moon and Jakey Lee. I think that was Jakey Lee's first appearance after uh, after replacing Randy Rhodes. Big deal. Yeah. You think about Judas Priest, just released Screaming for Vengeance. Their next album was Defenders of the Faith. Triumph. Their uh, Thunder 7 record was a huge album after that. Then you go into Scorpions. Love at First Sting was a big album. Van Halen, of course, with 1984. All those acts had huge albums and a huge impact on that period of music. And I always think of that festival as the epicenter for 80s rock because that's when it really blew up. And I think you're spot on. I think that's a dead-on assumption, too. But yeah, I mean, you think about how everything changed. The radio changed. They started MTV change. MTV was always kind of playing a hard rock, but they were mostly playing it at night. They really weren't playing a lot of that yeah. stuff during the day, and that changed too as well. And I just think that that whole movement started with that period. I mean, you look at just the energy. Look at how big that. If you if you're able to watch the stuff on YouTube, just the, the size of the crowd is just gigantic. There's got to be at least a hundred thousand to two hundred thousand people there. I've got that on DVD, and I've watched that several times. Yeah, the crowd is. And what was it like? One hundred and three degrees that day, or some yeah. shit. It was. It was just hotter than hell. And and not only in '83. Um, another another thing that really changed. Maybe it just kind of it helped the band, but. Uh, and it may have, it may have changed uh, rock too. Um, when Kiss took their makeup off, yeah, made their first television appearance. Yeah, so. I, I, I think they didn't have a choice. I think that you know Kiss's popularity was waning at the time. Creatures of the mm-hmm. Night, although a great album, probably one of their best, was not well received. In particular, because of the stuff that came before that, the Elder, Unmasked, the Elder. Dynasty. Um, and I, I still think Kiss is paying a price for that today. I still think that, you know, Kiss is was is, is was really affected by their decision to start following trends instead of leading the trends with, you know, Dynasty being, you know, and Mass being a pop record, Dynasty being a disco record, The Elder being this concept record. They were really kind of lost. Plus, plus, you also have the four solo records, you know, before that, which... You know, most of it. Yeah, there were some bad decisions being made right there. But I, I mean, the elder itself. Um, if, if you pulled that away and kept it separate, the elder by itself isn't a horrible record. I think there's some good songs on it. I don't necessarily think it was a Kiss album per se. It doesn't sound like Kiss. There's some elements to it that 
sound like a Kiss record, but um, but if Creatures of the Night was released when The Elder was, I think Creatures of the Night would have been more well-received. I agree. And, and Ace Frehley may or may not have, I don't think he would have quit the band. If it was if that was released before the elder, that's a that's an interesting point, you know, because I think Ace saw the success of his solo record and his solo record being regarded as the best out of the four. And you know, after mm-hmm. that, you look at Unmasked and Dynasty, and you saw a lot more Ace songs on the records. Um, mm-hmm. I also think the drugs and the alcohol clouded his judgment a little bit. I mean, there's a lot of stuff on the Elder. Um, I don't even think he plays on the Elder. Um, and I don't, even, uh, you know, I think Bob Kulik does a lot of that guitar work on that, or, or a good portion of it. Yeah, I think he does a good portion of it. You know, same thing with Unmasked and, and Dynasty. There's some tracks too where I don't think he plays on it as well. So I think that was really kind of gripping him at his at that point, and I think it affected mm-hmm. his judgment, but. I think maybe if Absolutely. Creatures of the Night was released and they had that momentum back, maybe he would have stayed. That's an interesting point. I think he would have. I mean, eventually would he have? Probably. But at that at, at that point, I, I think he would have stayed. That was more of the, I think that was more of the, uh, that was the avenue he was wanting to, to take anyway. He, had, he didn't want the uh, concept record. He was against it, so. Yeah. I've often thought, too, especially when I was younger, I thought that if Kiss released Creatures of the Night with makeup, which they had, and then followed it up with mm-hmm. uh, with makeup with the Lick It Up and the Animalize records, I think they was, I think they would have regained their status because all three of those records are phenomenal. Yes. Those albums, I think, were the best albums they put out in the 80s period. Look it up and analyze and preachers of the night. Not saying that I don't like uh, Asylum or Crazy Nights, but uh, I don't know too much synthesizer. I'm not a big fan of synthesizer, and so Crazy Nights was loaded with with synthesizer. So me, of course, when I was nine years old when it came out, I loved it, but. You know, as I got older, just hear synthesizer after synthesizer, and like, God, it was, it was stuff would sound so much better without it. Yeah, I also think too. Crazy Nights was just a lazy record, and I what I mean by that is, you got Crazy Crazy Nights, you got Bang Bang You, you got No No No. I remember looking at the track listing on that record, like, what the what the fuck is going on here? Like, can't they, you know, I mean. <laughs> I mean, there's three songs with where you repeat the name in the track or in the title, and it just seemed like this is bullshit. Like, what is this, you know? And and I just thought it sounded it just sounded too clean. It sounded too. It just it didn't sound like a Kiss record. It was just too too manufactured. Yeah, I don't. I can't think of anything else to say about it other than just either a following trend. Like yes. you said, they, like Bon Jovi, th- those bands were using synthesizer, and good lord, <laughs> yeah. And 
Paul Stanley's vocals on that album. I will have one good thing to say about the drumming and Bruce Kulik's guitar work is great. And Paul Stanley's vocals is just astronomical. Just his his range, especially on Animalize too, on some of those songs. But yeah, yeah, I I agree on that. You know, when you, I, I know I make fun of Crazy Nights, which is one of my least favorite records by Kiss, but when you listen to My Way and his vocal range on that, holy shit. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah. It's just nuts. And, and that's probably why he's lost his voice as bad as he has. Those albums in the 80s, he just pushed, pushed that register so high, just... Yeah. Had to have killed his vocal cords. You know that's interesting. When you think of the singers in the '80s, and you think of John Bon Jovi, and you think of Steve Perry, and you think of the guy from Survivor. I can't think of his name right now. Mickey, not Mickey Thomas. Um, God, I can't. I can't think of the guy's name. He recently passed a couple years ago. But the guy from Survivor yeah. and some of the other singers out there, you know. And Paul's a pretty competitive guy. Paul wants to be out front, out centered. It wouldn't surprise me if he you know, took that as a challenge to kind of show off. And, you know, you're probably right. It maybe have affected his voice long-term. Obviously, Father Time catches you up with you, but, you know, you may have blown yeah. out his vocal cords doing those albums. I think so. I think that was one. I think that's his main issue, other than getting old, because that's going to happen to every singer. Right. I mean, it was David Lee Roth. I mean, David Lee Roth was never, he was never the greatest singer anyway. But it's definitely affected. The yeah. age is definitely affected, but affected what he had anyway. Yeah. Well, moving on to my number seven is a band that many people will probably put higher on their list, but I'll give you the reason why I didn't. This my number seventh pick, or my seventh pick is Guns and Roses, and why did I put him at number seven? Is because every time I think of how great Appetite for Destruction is, I get pissed off because everything that came after that was delayed. I mean, you think of Appetite came out in 87. I think Use Your Illusion was until 90 or 91. Obviously, Chinese democracy. Guns N' Roses has always, I've always had a weird relationship with that band and that I love their music but I always listen with disdain. I always listen with anger because I always think of what could have been had they stayed the course and released a couple more albums with that sound that they had, that raw, yeah. that rawness, that street vibe that they had. And I always feel ripped off whenever I think of the greatness of, of Guns N' Roses. I always wanted more. Yeah, I agree with that too. They, I never understood why they went the direction they did with uh, uh, Lies. Why was that? Why was that the second album? Why was um, you know? Why didn't they put out another album? Something like, or at least the same kind of energy or the same attitude as Appetite. You know, I think. I think it lost. I think they lost something after Lies. But I mean, as huge as their Use Your Illusion one and two albums were, and especially the tours with Metallica, 
I still think I think it would have been significantly bigger. It would have been it would have been bigger had they released one or two albums after Appetite in the same kind of vein and not go almost like backwards. I'm always for a band evolving, right? I like when a band changes their sound or does something different from album to album. I think the only band that really gets away with it is ACDC. But, you know, the lies thing for me was just a way to keep them on the road and keep the money coming in. Um, I suppose. You know, and I, and, but I agree with you that they probably could have released another album, at least one other album in between Appetite and Use Your Illusion that kept that yeah. same sound and that same momentum, similar to what the Black Crows did from Shake Your Moneymaker to Southern Harmony of Musical Companion. You know, I mean, that's a great, like, one-two punch of a band that was pretty close to them in, in terms of sound and, and, and that era. I think Black Crows obviously had probably a little bit more of a Southern sound. But yeah, I still think that Guns N' Roses just, like I said, every time I listen to Appetite, I love the album. I, I, I It's one of my favorite albums of all time, but I always feel robbed whenever I listen to Guns N' Roses because Guns N' Roses could have been one of the greatest rock bands of all time. It could have been, now that this is me sounding selfish, it could have been there for the rock bands as the grunge movement was coming in, and it wasn't. And that's, oh, yeah, that totally. That, there, it felt like um, at that time when the grunge movement was coming in, like all those, uh, I don't know, quote unquote hair bands. I that Guns and Roses is to me not a hair band. Agreed. But they were always lumped into that category. But I felt I felt like all the bands that we grew up listening to just kind of gave up like there wasn't there wasn't too many of them that were still sticking to their guns and um still playing i mean van halen yeah acdc yes obviously kiss uh motley crew was still going but um guns and roses definitely if it, i agree if it had they done that they still they still could have been around to keep flying the flag for that style of music, but I almost but we all yeah. Sing. I I almost feel like Axel kind of abandoned the fans. You know, like he went into this project with Chinese Democracy, and only he knows all the twists and turns of that journey to make that record. Seventeen years later, I think it was, but yeah, there was. I mean, I don't know why they did what they did. I mean, it, it kind of like when, when Nirvana came in and Pearl Jam came in and all those other bands, it kind of just felt like Guns N' Roses just said, oh, well, we're done. We'll see you at some other time. And, of course, you know, they, they had different members in the band. They had they were recording this stuff, and there was a frustration between Slash and Axel. And, obviously, I think drugs played a lot of part in it with a lot of those guys. But it just felt no, like, probably. you know, when, when rock and roll needed a band, Guns N' Roses could have been that band, and they weren't. Absolutely. I 100% agree with you. What's your number six? Uh, my number six, you touched on him. Um, Ozzy, his solo work in the 80s. And um, the song, I think, that sums up his 
his decade would just be Crazy Train. I mean, that song, although he didn't do a video for it until uh, 86, 87, something like that. Yeah, with the tribute record. But, yeah, that, just the, the song itself, I, I think, just is the number one song of his solo catalog in that decade. And I think that just those two words, crazy train to me. When I, when I think of Ozzy in the eighties, crazy train. Yeah, definitely a a big powerhouse act. And, uh, you know, I mean, to have, to be around two decades, obviously with Sabbath in the seventies and then have his solo work in the eighties into the early nineties. After the whole Perry Mason thing, I kind of lost the connection with Ozzy, but, um, yeah, you know, you can't argue with those records. I mean, even into the nineties, especially with no more tears, which was a huge record, but, um, that's one. Yeah. That's one of my favorite Ozzy albums. And some people, uh, some people don't like it. And I don't know. I think it's one of his, I don't know if it's fair for me to say it's one of his heaviest albums, but I, I, it sounds heavier to me. It, it just it, the songs on it. I love Hellraiser. Don't want to change the world. Obviously, no more tears. Mister Tinker Train. Those songs on that album are just to me are huge, and just I want to turn them up to eleven and blast it. And there's not a to me. There's not a bad song on it. Is Desire on that album too? Yes. That's an interesting album. I love that record too. I like that record better than No Rest for the Wicked. What's really yeah, what's really interesting about that record is like you mentioned, it's got those really heavy songs and then it's got songs like um uh Road to Nowhere, Mama I'm Coming Home mm-hmm. and Time After Time. So yeah, I think that album showed his diversity. Right. And, right. And yeah, like none of his other albums you had that many, that many songs like like those three. You had a few, but just that album overall, I think, was one of his better albums that he did. And it's one of my favorite ones. It, it's an album I definitely don't skip a song on it. And yeah. I go back and listen to Blizzard of Oz. There's some, there, there's some songs that are eh, not one of my favorites. I'll skip it. But Crazy Train by itself, it stands alone is like the the song that just summed up his work in the eighties period. I I also think the ultimate sin is underrated too as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, oh shoot, I just I just lost the name of the album with um, Shot in the Dark. Yeah, the ultimate sin. Yeah, is that the ultimate sin? Yeah. Okay. Shot in the dark, (laughs) light lightning strikes, killer of giants, full like you. Yeah, some the title track, just some great songs. My number six is probably the most recognizable name, or I would probably say probably one or two would be most recognizable, and that is Metallica. Metallica. I started as number six, and listen, no one denies the impact they had on the thrash movement. 
they're absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, you talk about them, Megadeth, Slayer, Anthrax. You know, you talk about all those bands. I mean, but they were mostly an underground band up until '87. You know, '86. Um, you know, they had the Kill 'Em All, they had the Ride the Lightning albums. Depending on what market you lived in, you didn't hear that stuff. I mean, if you were in a small market. Nine times out of ten, the only way you heard about Metallica is if you listened to the radio late at night or a friend turned you on to it who had a cousin come in from someone who lived in a bigger market. But Master of Puppets, being on the Monsters of Rock tour with Van Halen, Scorpions, Dokken, and then Kingdom Come really kind of set the stage for them for the End Justice for All album. But I think so. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree. But it wasn't until the one single... The one song, I, I, the song, mm-hmm. the song one. I don't want people to get confused. Um, was what really what made them popular, and that wasn't until like eighty eight, eighty nine. To put them number one or number two in the eighties, for me, in my opinion, I don't think in terms of the impact they had on rock music and the audience they had. They were still basically up until that Monsters of Rock. They were still basically a club band you know, uh, or, or, or a 3000 capacity theater band. They weren't a huge band because thrash really wasn't what was big at that time. And no, it was, it was still basically underground up yeah. until that monsters of rock tour and, and definitely the music video for one. Yeah. Now I, I remember, I remember staying up late watching hit ball all the time as a kid back then. And, my God, when that video came out, and there's nothing about the video that's scary as a kid watching it, but it always creeped me out, and that always stuck in my head the first time I saw that and was watching it, and I didn't know who these guys were, never heard of Metallica. Hell, I didn't even know how to pronounce the band name, and I was like, how do you even say that? Who is this? And it, it's heavy as hell, and like this, this is uncharted territory for me. I'm I'm used to, you know, Kiss, Van Halen, Motley Crue, Bon Jovi, Poison. This is like way out there. But I can see I can see why they would make your 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 list. They were de- definitely significant as far as the '80s, but I also agree that they wouldn't be like, I don't know, like your staple eighties. You think of the eighties. I definitely don't immediately think of Metallica. Yeah. I mean, if you want to talk about Metallica in the nineties, see, that's kind of the funny thing with Metallica is the hardcore fans look at the eighties as their best period of music. The Mm nineties are probably when they became the most recognizable when they were mainstream. So yeah, they were more of a they were more of a household name by '96 than than say '89. Well, I mean, what was the the Black Album was what '91, '92? I want to say maybe '92. I mean, that was just a huge, huge yeah. record. I mean, that was when you know people want to talk about the grunge era killing '80s rock. Yes, did it have some influence in killing '80s rock and in the glam stuff from mm-hmm. the '80s? It did. But yes, the band that killed '80s rock was Metallica. 
<laughs> yeah, you, you know, you can't. I, I was, I mean, I was in eighth grade when Injustice for All came out, and I remember people wearing Poison shirts, Bon Jovi shirts, Def Leppard shirts. The song One came out. The video was released for One. Within a week, those same dudes were wearing Metallica shirts. Wearing Metallica shirts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I know it's the it's it's the popular opinion that Nirvana killed it. Well, th- there's really kind of three things that killed 80s rock. Number one, Metallica. Okay? That was first and foremost. Number two was grunge. Number three, which w- which a lot of people don't like to talk about, is the 90s, the early part of the 90s, bands became a parody of themselves. Bands were getting yes, signed because of what they looked like and not what they sounded like. And people got sick of it because it was watered down. It all had been done before. It was formula by that time. Everybody had the two power ballads on the, on the, on the album. You know, they had the big first song with the big hooks. They had the big hair, all that kind of stuff. And people got tired of it. You know, I mean, it had a great run. Probably had a run longer than most genres of music or subgenres of music. And I think when Metallica came out, I think people were thirsting for something different, and Metallica gave it to them. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, too. I, I, yeah, grunge definitely had a hand in it, but I don't think they single-handedly took down that, that uh, genre of rock music. And another number four to add to yours would be just the song itself, Cherry Pie. I mean... yeah. Yeah, you think of Cherry Pie, was, you think of Unskinny Bop? Yeah, those those type of songs. They were fun when we were kids, you know. They were fun. But uh, at that point when Cherry Pie came out, I think it all been done. Yeah. Let's put and, the X in sex is another one. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, like I said, 88, when that came out, I was 10. I, you know, oh, it's a great song. That's so cool. I'm going to play it over and over again. And but yeah, stuff like that. I think it shot itself in the foot. We're around the corner and start heading into the early like ninety one, ninety two is I think by that point with Metallica already being around for a few years, it was already in its decline. And then Nevermind came out and it, that was the final nail in the coffin for the stadium anthem rock bands. So Yeah. No, hundred percent agree. I agree with you. What's your number five? My number five is Guns N' Roses. And I put them that high just because the Appetite for Destruction album by itself. The standalone, it, to me, it, it helped define 80s. And, of course, it came a little late, later, a little bit later, but it uh, definitely made its mark on the 80s. Yeah, I mean, if you think of debut albums, you think of Van Halen 1, you think of Appetite for Destruction, you know, two. Yeah, we just had, me and uh, my buddy Famous Paul did an episode of The List um, a couple weeks back, and that was one of our topics, was uh, top 10, or I think it was top 10 debut albums, or it was debut albums, I don't remember how many was in the list, but uh, definitely that album and Van Halen 1 were the uh my top my top picks you could even argue you know with the discussion we just had on the 80s rock and what killed 80s rock 
you could even point to Guns N' Roses having something to do with it in terms of just the way they looked and the vibe that they generated and the rawness of that album. You know, it was much different than what was being released, you know, out in the out in music at that time. And I think, point, yeah. you know, it, it was different. I mean, of course, they had Sweet Child of Mine and Paradise City, but when you listen to those songs on Appetite, whether it's Rocket Queen or Mr. Brownstone or Anything Goes or Night Train or It's So Easy, it's a totally different album than what was being released at that time. Yeah. Almost similar to Van Halen 1, right? Yeah, yeah. And it had the attitude. It was, it was so street, like, um, well... Like um, too fast for love. It was it was raw. It was dirty. It had elements of pop though, but it, it kind of had the same attitude. Like you know, fuck you. We're gonna do what we want, and this is what, how it comes out. You know. But at that point, Motley Crue, their their sound had changed. So I yeah, I do agree. At that time, girls, girls, girls album was out. Yeah. And that was definitely a different sounding album, although the lyrics on all the songs, or most of the songs, are definitely dark. Um, just like the Appetite for Destruction song lyrics, for the most part. Well, you think of Dancing on Glass, and you think of, was it Five Years, uh, Dead. Five Years Dead, and you think of You're All I Need, you know? Um, yeah, and Wild Side. Yeah and, if you, yeah, and if you look at if you look at the lyrics for girls, girls, girls itself. Yeah. The, the song, if you listen to the song, it's kind of a party song. It's the song that strippers are going to dance to. But if you read the words to it, it's a dark song. too. It is. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. That's a great, that's a great, uh, assessment on that, on that. Um, I think that whole period, I think, you know, with Guns N' Roses coming out with Appetite, I think there was a, a, a little bit of a shift in what was going on with the with the music, but I think the record companies kept pushing out songs like Cherry Pie and then Unskinny Bop and Let's Put the X in Sex and what was, you know, I, I, I could probably, if I had to sit there and think about it, um, you know, I could probably come up with another handful of songs that were just what those songs did is it made fans not take the genre serious. Oh, for sure. You know, I mean they might have been big yeah. hits for those bands, but it made it made, like I said, it made them a parody of themselves. It it, it became a, a a genre that you laughed at instead of like, you know, believed in. And I think that, you know, those songs had a huge impact in that. Yeah. Uh, another song comes to mind is uh, Def Leppard's Let's Get Rocked. Yeah, it sounds like a beer commercial. <laughs> it does. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that it, that song to me is like Horse and Sugar on Me Part 2. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was, the album Adrenalized by Itself, I think, is a great album. It's got It's got more ballads on it than I care to hear but um, I think any Def Leppard album is good it always sounds like Def Leppard but I think at that time it was another song that stood out like the same formula the the same you're on Skinny Bops 
and your cherry pies. And I think that that's one song that I would put right there along with them. What are we at? Number my my number five? Number four. Number, my number five. My number, five, number five, yeah. yeah, is now one of the biggest bands internationally. They constantly tour. They are, are huge all over the world. They are, again, kind of like an Ozzy Osbourne where when you looked at their album covers back in the 80s, you were scared. They had a lot of very uh, dark and evil imagery on them. My number five mm, yeah. is is Iron Maiden. Uh, nice. Maiden, to me, I, I I saw the the picture of Number of the Beast before I heard them. I was at a my parents' friend's house, and they had a couple older boys that were. I was probably older than me. I was probably eight or nine at the time, and they were in the, in high school. And I remember being in one of the guys' rooms, being in one of the kids' rooms. And he had this wall poster of Number of the Beast that glowed in the dark. And <clears throat> I remember just staring at it. I mean, it had been, I felt like forever. And just like, what in the hell is this? Like, I, I couldn't grasp it. Like, there's the devil. I see the devil. But what's this other monster behind the devil, you know, in this just... Is is are they in hell? Is that what hell looks like? Just all these questions I had, yeah. and then and then the music I heard, and then you heard the you know the the number of the beast intro, you know with the six six six, and you heard the intro to prisoner, and it was different. It was it was like wow, what what is this stuff? And they sang about you know the evils of of life and 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 the good and evil, and and you know you think about the song number of the beast. It's it's the it's the struggle to do to do the right thing. It's the struggle to, you know, lead a, a righteous path. And you've got the the beast constantly tempting you. You've got hallowed be thy name and run to the hills and prisoner. And then after that, you know, it was peace of mind with the trooper and revelations and flight of Icarus. You had uh, power slave with aces high, two minutes to midnight. You had somewhere in time, you know, seventh son of the seventh yeah, son. Weren't they great though? God, <laughs> this, this awesome. damn! I mean, when you th- and then they, and then I think was it eighty was killer? Was seventy nine their debut or was eighty their debut? But I mean, when you think, uh, of- se- I think it was seventy seventy eight was their debut album, and then Killers was eighty. You know, but when you when you think about that body of work in the eighties and all those albums, plus you've got a kick ass live album. Live After Death in between all those albums. Oh, it's, yeah. It's just freaking remarkable. And the band still sounds good today. The music they put out today is still kick-ass. I mean, I know a lot of people, whenever their bands are releasing albums and you know they don't have any, any interest in the new music, New Maiden, the last, I mean, everything from Brave New World on is awesome. That stretch there right after Dickinson came back. Those definitely those albums are phenomenal. His it's almost like he didn't lose a step. He did, but you know it's not so recognizable. Yeah, I mean the guy. They still put on a great performance. They they are just phenomenal. Those those albums in the eighties. 
I mean, just I I I challenge anyone to come up with a band that from from Killers. We're, t- we're just talking the '80s. From Killers, Number of the Beast, Peace of Mind, Power Slave, Somewhere in Time, Seven Son, The Seven Son. All those albums are released in the '80s. I challenge anyone to come up with a band that has a better catalog in a 10-year period than Iron Maiden. Oh, <laughs> that's tough. That's almost like a topic for another interview somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm serious. I mean, th- when you think about that, I mean, think about all those records. Think about those albums. And, and you know, that's what? One, two, three. That's six albums in a 10-year period that have impacted and been so influential in current rock music that, and, and, and every song or every album has recognizable songs. You know, it's not like... And they were consistent. Yeah, and they were, I mean, you go from, you know, Killers with, with Murders in the Room Morgue, you know, and you go to Number of the Beast with Run to the Hills and Peace of Mind with The Trooper and... Power Slave with Aces High, Somewhere in Time with Wasted Years, Seventh Son with Can I Play with Madness, and all the other songs that we're not even mentioning that are part of the, that catalog. It's just, it's tremendous. Yeah, there's not too many bands that we could say that um, had a better body of work in the 80s. I and mean, there's bands that come close when, they're, when they stay consistent like that. Um, I would probably fair to say, and it didn't make my list, but uh, one of my favorite bands of that time would be Rat. Is that your number four? No, they did right. not. They didn't even make my list, and I kind of wish they did. Yeah. But I, like you said, like you said at the at the start of this, it was so hard to uh, just think back and. You know, you have your Dawkins, which is another band that I just loved as a kid, and I still do, and Rat and Tesla. and But, you know, some of them, some of them weren't as significant, like Cinderella. Cinderella was a great band, but, they, you know, they just weren't as, as big as some of these other bands were. They didn't reach commercially, and they, they, they didn't stick out. Well, Rat, they're a great Rat was the one band that I contemplated with ACDC because Rat really had a lot of influence in the 80s. And I, I mean, you think about that EP that they had in Out of the Cellar. The EP yes. is extremely heavy and extremely yes, raw. And Out of the Cellar still has a lot of those elements, too. I mean, you talk about Round and Round and Back for More and Wanted Dead or Alive, but you, know, you talk about She Wants Money. And you talk about I'm insane uh-huh. and all those songs that are on that record. Yeah, I mean it's raw and it's powerful. And then I think the issue with Rat is after Out of the Cellar, it became every Rat so- album sounded the same. You know, like kind of yeah. You know, Until, like um, uh, Reach for the Sky, I mean, Dancing Undercover is still one of my favorite Rat albums. But Reach for the Sky and Detonator by that time, I think. Yeah, well, they didn't have the song. I don't think. I don't think as a whole album, just didn't grab 
everyone's attention like the previous the previous three or four. Yeah, I, I think. Well, I mean, Dancing Undercover. I, I mean, I had that album growing up and Reach for the Sky. I I'm not sure if they did or they did not, but one of the things that Rat didn't do that a lot of their contemporaries were doing, whether it was Bon Jovi or whether it was. Um, oh gosh, uh, Kiss was doing a lot of this, was they didn't have any outside writers. And I think if they would have done that, I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, you know, someone tell me I'm wrong. But um, I, I think if they would have done like with the Desmond Child thing or whatever, you know, that was going on, that may have elevated them into a different stratosphere, or maybe changed some things because, you know, after those first two records and maybe half of Invasion of Your Privacy, it really became like, okay, I've heard this song before on the last album. <laughs> you know, I mean, and I think a lot yeah. of it, I think a lot of it too was they had the same producer. I think it was what Keith, oh God, I can't think of his name. Bo Hill. Bo Hill, yes. Bo Hill. And I, I think when you see a band change up producers a lot, I think they're trying to get a different sound. And I, and I think Rat didn't do that for whatever reason. No, no, no. Yeah, I, I, they didn't. And they, they probably just felt that the, you know, the formula that they had going was working for them. And yeah. they were, they were headlining, headlining arenas by invasion of your privacy. And they kind of got big quick. Right. Kind of. I mean, so what's your number that's four? Another band I was one. My number four, it's a tie. Um, it's a tie with Van Halen and Judas Priest. Ooh, okay. And Judas Priest with British Steel and Screaming for Vengeance and Defenders of the Faith. Those were, especially British Steel and Screaming for Vengeance, huge, huge albums, influentially. And Van Halen, of course, with Women and Children First and Fair Warning and 1984, obviously. But, yeah, 1984 being a huge album for the 80s, and that that album kind of sticks out as one of the the biggest 80s albums. But they got so much, in my opinion, they got so much better with Sammy Hagar once 5150 came out, and I they just got, they kept getting bigger and bigger. So... Judas Priest. That, that's a two yeah. that's, no, that's just those two are a tie right there for me. Um, and I, Jesus, I could have I could have put Halen at number one or number two, but and it, like I said, it is tough to put this together. And so I could have put Rat was tied with Guns N' Roses, but <laughs> there's so many bands. But uh, yeah, Van Halen and Judas Priest tied for me at number four. Judas Priest did not make my list, and it was one of those bands that was kind of on the fringe too, as well. You know, Screaming for Vengeance, Defenders of the Faith, British Steel. Um, you know, great albums from the '80s. Turbo, um, not it was Turbo, not Turbo. Turbo Level was the song, but yeah, it was yeah. it was um, it was tough leaving them out. There were so many great bands to choose from. You know, they would probably be on my 11th or 12th name. You know, outside the top 10. You know, Van Halen, I have on my list, but, you know, Van Halen to me, you know, was a band that really didn't chase after any trends. They just were the trend. They would just kind of do their own thing. They were kind of like oblivious to what everything else was going on during that period. 
and people wanted to be like them, but I never thought Van Halen was trying to be like somebody else. No, I never got that from them. Um, they, they stuck out. They were, they stood alone, I think. And I don't really know. I I can't think of a band that was really trying to emulate them either. As far as, um, well, I guess earlier, like with the bullet boys, you kind of, you kind of got that with Mark Torian kind of the way he sang, you, you kind of got that they were trying to be Van Halen of the, the early Van Halen, the Roth era. But after Sammy, it didn't seem like anybody was trying to be them. Cause I think they stood like they were at the top of the mountain almost. And like no one could touch them at that point. And, that's the, that's the, the what I got out of it anyway. My number four is Def Leppard. Nice. I, you know, what can you say about Def Leppard? They had two gigantic albums with Pyromania and Hysteria. Hysteria, I think, is a great album. For me, it's just not my cup of tea. Never really has been. I mean, I like the song women and i like the song i like the title track hysteria gods of war is a is a great mm-hmm. song there's a few others that are on there too as um as well pyromania was a big impact on me i remember seeing the video for photograph foolin and and rock of ages but even the earlier stuff the stuff when they were part of the new wave of british heavy metal the on through the night album and the high and dry album really are the what the high and dry yeah, High and Dry to me is their best album. Um, I, yeah, it, I don't know. It, Seth Leppard is one of my favorite bands of all time, and I, it's hard for me to pick, like, for me to say what their their best album was. Obviously, I'm not going to say Adrenalize, but um, I don't, I always thought. High and Dry was definitely better than On Through the Night, but On Through the Night was so, still had that 70s rock sound, and it was so honest, I think. You could definitely hear where they were coming from. You could feel that blue-collar, uh, blue-collar rock sound, working man's rock band, and they, they just, the hunger to make it. And, but, the songwriting definitely got better with High and Dry, and I'm probably would probably say High and Dry would be their best album next to Pyromania. Think about how young they were on On Through the Night. Oh yeah, they were teenagers, basically. You know, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't think any of them, I don't think any of them were older older than twenty. No, I don't think so. And I think Rick Allen was what fifteen. Yeah, it's, it's incredible incredible but yeah Def Leppard's my number four uh, my number three again it's a tie with two bands we already touched on it's ACDC and Iron Maiden um, and basically I'll, I threw ACDC in there tied with them because I didn't want to leave ACDC out but just based on Back in Black and for those about to rock um, and I definitely could have put them at number 10 but and, and Iron Maiden, like we said, they had so many anthems in that era with Beast and Trooper and Two Minutes of Midnight. They're just a huge band and wrote so many good songs. 
and their album covers just it. Jesus, it's just one of those bands that yeah, I think thinking back, thinking back to that decade, like what stood out to me the most, and definitely their music and their album covers <laughs> being super scary, and you like thinking obviously this is a satanic band my parents will not let me listen to this shit but you love it anyway yeah no it was a huge thing i mean the imagery was so important to that band my number three is a band we talked about already is bon jovi and yeah the reason why they're high on the list is i don't think there was a bigger band in the latter part of the 80s than bon jovi I with a couple with their body of work, you know, say whatever you want. Bon Jovi's not cool. Bon Jovi's this. Bon Jovi that. The 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 proof is in the songs, and their songs by have been said by other musicians. I mean, I've I've read interviews with Alice Cooper, and I've read interviews with other you know people during that period as well that they wrote some of the best songs that came out of that ten year period. Don't fall into the Bon Jovi hate. Love this band because this band is a phenomenal, phenomenal band. Um, and maybe a band that if you don't like them, maybe should revisit some of their stuff. Yeah. You know, and their second album, um, I, I've revisited that too. And you know, and there's some good songs on that album. Tokyo it's kind Road. Of under, yeah. Um, was that another one? Was that King hardest, of the Mountain? Was that no? Hardest uh, part of the night. Hardest part of the night. Uh, Silent night. Only lonely. In and out of love. Great. Stuff. Those are great songs. I. But obviously, Slipper When Wet came in and just almost like the album. Their second album didn't even happen. I mean, you know, obviously in the Bon Jovi catalog, it's not the strongest album, but. It's, no. it's it's an album that shouldn't be forgotten. What's really cool about Bon Jovi as well, they grew with their audience. You know, as their audience matured from junior high, high school into out in the real world, Bon Jovi got more mature. You know, you look at the Keep the Faith yeah. record. They were the first band that cut their hair. You know, like they, they, you know, they were trying, and, and they did. I mean, when you look at the success they had when the grunge movement came about, came about they were still successful as a band. That album, Keep the Faith, I, it had such a, to me, it had such a huge sound to it. And it was so, you could definitely hear their songwriting get better and musicianship and just the way that the songs came out, especially like songs like, yeah, Keep the Faith and uh, If I Was Your Mother and Fear. Fear, that song, it's just a great hard rock song and dry County. It's yeah. almost like a 10, it's a, almost 10 minute song, but they're all over the board on that album. as far as the styles go, like I'll sleep when I'm dead, uh, woman in love, blame it on the love for rock and roll. It, it changes. And it's not the same formula as flipper when wet. It's got, and not, and, not even the same formula as New Jersey either. They they got 
they changed a little bit with their sound. And I think it's a great rock album. I almost think it's a better rock album as a whole than Slippery When Wet. Yeah, I really connected with that album too. The, the first song, I believe, is a freaking incredible song. Um, yeah. A Little Bit of Soul is a great song. And like I said, you know, they were growing with their audience. They were they were maturing with their audience, which is really hard to do, and not many acts have been able to do it. And I even would go, no. yeah, even even into these days, which is even kind of continues that that type of music that they were putting out, which was completely different than New Jersey and Slippery Woman. These days is a phenomenal record. It is, it is, and that's unfortunately that that album they started to lose me a little bit. Um, they have some good songs on it. It um, isn't um, someday I'll be Saturday night on that album. Yeah, no, no, no. Someday for Saturday night is on the compilation. Something for the pain is on. Something for the day. pain. Yeah, 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 yeah. They, yeah, that they started to lose me a little bit, um, and then we get into Crush, and uh, they they lost me, but they were they always had good songs and it just at that point it wasn't my cup of tea anymore they but I always go back to those I always go back to those those older albums what's your number two my number two um at one time they were they were possibly the biggest band of the eighties and arguably the most important band in that decade. And that's Def Leppard. Huge band, huge success, huge albums. You know, I think they rival Bon Jovi as probably the two most successful bands of that era. I think so. And and especially when their drummer loses an arm (laughs) and they take four years to put out another album and, when they do, it just blows up. I mean, it took a little bit for it to gain, but once it did, I mean, the hysteria was all over the place. And I think at that point, they, in 87, 88, I think they were probably the biggest band that around at that point. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. You, still had, you still had your Motley Crue's and, Van Halen's, but I mean, as huge as Def Leppard's hysteria album was, I, I think, and I don't know the numbers. <laughs> I don't know how their their uh, ticket sales were, but I mean, I can't imagine that anybody really rivaled them as far as album sales and ticket sales. And as Kiss was losing popularity, they weren't as popular at that point. So, and you had Motley Crue and Bon Jovi. I mean, I think Def Leppard, those top, those three bands were probably the three biggest. And I'm almost willing to say in 87, 88, Def Leppard probably was a bigger band, the biggest band. Well, their, their album, Hysteria, Women, was the first single, and that really kind of came out flat. And then they did Animal, and then they did Hysteria, Pour Some Sugar On Me, Armageddon It, Love Bites. I mean, the album is gigantic. And a lot of it's overplayed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of it's overplayed. You remember that uh, Pour Some Sugar on Me originally, they had a music video for it. 
before they did the live concert video for it. And I think, I don't think Force and Sugar Me was released here, I, but I could be wrong. But it didn't, like, it, like, it, like women, it kind of went flat. It, it was a ridiculous music video. And when they re-released it with concert footage, I think that's when, I think that's when that blew up. Yeah, that was, song was huge. Huge. Unfortunately, it's still huge. <laughs> yeah, but I give him credit too. You know, you know, Joe Elliott did say, and has said it in several interviews, there, getting rid of Rick Allen after his accident was never an option, and I commend them on that. I mean, no. that that's a you know a, you know a one armed drummer at that time in the mid '80s. You know, you think back of the technology thirty years ago to what it is now. I mean, for them to stick with the with a member of the band until he figured it out. You got to commend them uh-huh. on that. I mean, that's a pretty remarkable, um, remarkable thing that they did. Yes, and it's remarkable that a guy would have that much patience. Because I don't have any patience at all, but for someone to figure out how to play with one arm and not just lose your mind, because I'm yeah. sure I'm sure Rick Allen's lost his mind a time or two over that whole thing. But I can't even imagine sticking to your guns and and I, I would have me I probably would have quit so that's remarkable in itself just wanting to wanting to do it just trying to figure it out needing to do it yeah great story my uh, my number two is Motley Crue uh-huh. for me you know the Motley Crue defined my youth in a lot of ways because they were like these characters, these larger than life characters, especially when I first saw the looks that kill video and the too young to fall in love. And then I circled back to too fast for love. But Molly crew had a lot more of an impact on music and videos than more people give them credit for. We talk about the early part of the eighties being raw being a lot of stripped down type music. And obviously you hear that in Too Fast for Love and you hear that in Shout Out the Devil. But Motley Crue, I think single-handedly changed the game. If you look at the back cover of Theater of Pain where they're all glammed up and you look at what came after that with Poison, with Warrant, with Bon Jovi, all the power ballads, Home Sweet Home. They were, yeah, they were setting trends. Yeah. Every band wanted to be like Motley Crue. Yeah, I, I mean, when you think of Home Sweet Home on the request line and MTV being number one for months, every band after that who had an album come out after that had to have a power ballad on the record. And everybody yes. was glammed up. Everyone from Judas Priest, if you look at Turbo Lover, if you look at Somewhere in Time by Iron Maiden, obviously Maiden didn't go full on glam, but it was a little bit different. They had a little bit more sparkle in their outfits. Um, mm-hmm. You look at, you know, every band. I mean, just it, it, it was like overnight. The impact that Motley Crue had on 80s music cannot be denied. They maybe weren't the best musicians. I think a lot of cases Tommy Lee, you know, is no more for his personality than his drumming. I think he's a kick-ass drummer. 
And I think Mick Mars is an unbelievable guitar player. What's great about Crew as well is every album they released during the 80s sounds different. And that's my thoughts. They do. Yeah, they, they definitely do. And they, they changed. They, they didn't stick with the same exact sound from album to album. And Theater of Pain, uh, yeah, that album was the, the turning point in where bands started to go glam. Yeah. Although I do, I do, I do think the Def Leppard with the Pyromania album. I think that they start. They, uh, they, they started doing a little bit of that before. But Motley Crue, shout out the Devil with a glam. They were still. See, shout out the Devil so glam, to me maybe wasn't glam as like. The sound no. But no, I think I think image. it was yeah, it was more like an apocalyptic image, you know. This is true. You know, definitely, mean, yeah. Theater of Pain was. I mean, Vince Neil's got a point. Vince Neil's got a freaking garter belt on on the back cover of that album. <laughs> he looked pretty, didn't he? He did look pretty, um, but you know. Yeah, Shout the Devil was glam, but Shout the Devil is more glam on like the Kiss level, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You're right. Kiss, Kiss, and Alice Cooper level. Yeah. Whereas I, I think you didn't, you knew they were men. I mean, I think when you looked at Vince Neil and Tommy Lee on the back cover of Theater of Pain, you were like, "Are these women in this band? What's going on with this?" You know, same thing with like Poison. <laughs> Poison, Poison, yeah. pretty much ripped off everything Crew did in terms of imagery. Yes, it is. But then again, so so did a lot of bands too. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's true. So, what's your number one? So, uh, my number one is Motley Crue. So we might as well stay on this topic. Yeah, <laughs> that, that that band. Yeah, the, to me, they dominated um, the '80s, and they were my favorite band, and they still are. Although I I, I tend to lean toward Kiss being my favorite band ever, and and Def Leppard, but as a kid, Motley Crue was my favorite band, and they, they just kicked your ass with their attitude. I mean, just like they said, just because we wear makeup doesn't mean we can't kick your ass. So uh, that always that's Motley Crue always stuck out to me is when I think of the '80s, I think of Theater Pain, although it's not their best album, but I think of Shout Out the Devil, Doctor Feelgood, just huge bands, and everyone was trying to be them. Yeah, I mean, when they tell their story in the dirt, you know, I've read the book and seen the movie. Uh, what amazes yeah. me is all four of them are still alive. And, you know, and, oh my God. How, yeah. You know, if there's a band that defined the excess of the 80s, it's definitely Motley Crue. I don't think anyone even comes close. Not Van Halen, not Guns N' Roses, um, maybe Ozzy, but uh, I just maybe. think, yeah, I just think that. The way they lived their lives and, and how they were, I just think that, um, you know, when you tell that story in the dirt and you watch and you read it, it's just, it's amazing. And and the fact that they were still able to function and put out music with all the drug use and the partying is, it, is remarkable in itself. But I agree, man. You know, yeah. when you look at the evolution of Crew and all those albums that came out, 
Um, they all sounded different. They all, they all evolved and they all were their own albums and they constantly were changing their image and they were just gigantic. Yeah. And a lot of their, the fact that they're still able to, uh, put out an album, I think has everything to do with who was ever, who was producing said album at that time. Cause I'm sure that was not an easy thing to do. To corral, to corral Nikki Six and corral Tommy Lee and make them work. And just the fa- just the fact that Nikki Six doesn't look horrible to this day is just is outstanding. How he's not dead for one. Yeah, and it doesn't look like he's he hasn't he has not aged horribly. No, like the other three. no, he hasn't. I mean, you know, obviously Mix had his health issues. Vince, you know, it seems like he's getting himself back in shape. But, uh, you know, and, if, and Tommy, you know, I think age is finally starting to catch up with him a little bit. But, you know, Nikki, yeah. yeah, Nikki looks fantastic for a guy that died of a heroin overdose. Oh, for sure. My number one is Van Halen. Uh, to me, there is no other band in the 80s that touches them in terms of what they meant to pop culture, what they meant to music. When you take a look at Women and Children and Fir- Women and Children First in, as their first record in 1980 after their two huge albums of Van Halen 1 and Van Halen, Van Halen 2, they were the first million-dollar act at the U.S. Festival. They were paid a million dollars for that show. No one up until then got paid that much for a show. When you think about all, oh, wow. all the movies that they were mentioning, whether it's Fast Times at Ridgemont High with Jeff Spicoli, whether it's Back to the Future with Eddie Van Halen doing the guitar work, yeah. you know, and the Marty McFly, when Marty McFly's in bed and the spaceman comes and visits him, that's Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. When you think of, of yeah, the- Beat It by Michael Jackson, and it's Eddie Van Halen. It's Eddie Van Halen. And he, the fact that he didn't even get paid for that. He didn't even want any money for it. He no. just came in the studio, laid down the track, and Quincy Jones like, all right, well, we're, we need your information. He's like, oh, man, don't worry about it. I'm good. Do you know how much money he could have made off that song? But he didn't. Van Halen, uh, also, I mean, the culture. You had the, you had the painter's caps. You had the T-shirts. You had everyone wanted to look like David Lee Roth. Everyone wanted to play like Eddie Van Halen. To me. Yeah. And then to switch up and get a different singer in 1986 and, ha- and have a number one record as a result of that, to me, uh, I, they, are, they are 80s rock. I know Daily Roth wants to call them a 70s band. Sorry, Dave. They're not a 70s band. You're an 80s band, and in my opinion, you're the biggest. Yeah. I, that's tough. Yeah, that's tough. They, they were definitely another band obviously I had them in my list but another band that I think of growing up like I said 1984 just being I just remember being a kid hanging at the hanging out at the local uh, swimming pool and just that band was that band Motley Crue and Kiss those bands were so big in this area and all the lifeguards if we were listening to music at the swimming pool, it was a boombox with a microphone put up to the speaker, and we were either blaring 1984 or 5150. 
and it, that sticks out in my mind and that's another memory of the 80s to me is Van Halen the Van Halen logo was written on everything yep. on notebooks it was etched into the counter at the swimming pool they read at the uh, cash register and you know just that logo in itself is like a huge significant thing of the 80s just the logo itself I agree 100%. I mean, I had it on my folders at school. I etched it into my desk at school. You know, every time you use the bathroom stall, someone would carve in Van Halen logo. I mean, it was, it was, they were larger than life. I mean, they changed the way videos were uh, filmed too. I mean, before uh, Jump, the camera angle was always eye level. They, they put it above, you know, they, they, they were like, or I'm sorry, they were looking, they were looking up at you instead of looking at equal eye and that changed the way videos were filmed they they just did so much and were so influential I mean Eddie Van Halen changed the face of guitar playing um, they were the biggest act before Crew before Leopard before Bon Jovi Van Halen was was it I mean they you know and you just think about I, I can remember images of like my, my school and you know, the painter's caps, kids wearing that to school or the bandana around their neck or around their thigh, mm-hmm. tied around their thigh or whatever. It was Van Halen. It, in, a, in, a, in the rock T-shirts, the Van Halen T-shirts were all over the place. Um, yes. I just don't remember another band, you know, having that much impact with not just young kids, but with movies. I mean, there's probably other movies that... I'm forgetting too as well. I think Better Off Dead has a has a reference to Van Halen in that, which is a John Cusack movie. If you ever heard the phrase "I want my two dollars," that's Better Off Dead. But yeah. um, you know, being on Saturday Night Live, I mean, Eddie Van Halen was on. Saturday, I mean, it was it's just you know, and then Daily Roth, this larger than life persona that just was just like the huge rock star of that day. There isn't a front man in the '80s, in my opinion, that even touches him. No, that's that's definitely hard to argue with that. So, let's. uh, Why don't we recap our list here and and finish up? What's your top ten again? My top ten, starting at number ten, was Quiet Riot. Uh, Number nine was Poison. Number eight was Bon Jovi. Number seven, Scorpions. Number six, Ozzy. Number five, Guns N' Roses. I had a tie for number four with Van Halen and Judas Priest. Number three was a tie with ACDC and Iron Maiden. Number two was Def Leppard. And number one was Motley Crue. My top ten, starting out at ten, is ACDC. Number nine was Scorpions. Number eight was Ozzy. Number seven was Guns N' Roses. Number six was Metallica. Number five was Iron Maiden. Number four was Def Leppard. Number three was Bon Jovi. Number two was Motley Crue. And number one was Van Halen. And that's it. put together some pretty awesome lists. Yeah. No, it's a great list. I mean, there's a few differences in there. Um, You know, if I I had to rate some that maybe fell out that I didn't include, Quiet Riot would definitely be there. Rat, Judas Priest would definitely be there. Uh, Is there another band or artist I think those are probably the three that I can think of. I mean, Cinderella was a great band. Uh, 
gosh, I can't uh, can't think of anything else at this time. I think that pretty much covers it. But yeah, for that genre, that's pretty that's, that pretty well says it. I think. <laughs> I think so too, man. It's a great list. For anyone that's listening, feel free to put your list in the link, whether it's on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, have some fun with it. You know, pick who you think. I know. I know I'm probably going to upset people that I put Bon Jovi ahead of Metallica and Maiden, but um, <laughs> it's my list. It's my opinion. You can have yours, and I won't tell you you're stupid. So, anyway, Mojo. This thank, has been fun. Yeah, it was fun, man. Thanks for coming back on the show. Uh, really Absolutely. appreciate it. Uh, it's been awesome. And uh, look forward. You, yeah, look forward to you coming on next time. Yes, absolutely. Well, hey, everybody, that's Mojo Mumi. This is The Hook Rocks. This is Jay Scott. Thanks for all tuning in and listening to our top 10 80s rock band lists. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.